Welcome to the second season of Crime Beat. I'm so happy to announce we have a new sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. They have a new play, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. And here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. The knife ripped through Kathy's car tires. These weren't cuts or punctures or slashes. This was an excision. Big chunks of rubber fell to the ground like severed fingers. He hacked the front passenger side tire first, then the rear tire on the same side. Air whooshed out of the cut tires as the car flopped like a wounded bull. The metal rims clanged against the parking lot asphalt. It was a Saturday night, and she looked like a bad actor portraying a drunk. She could barely keep her eyes open. She was so blotto that she didn't notice the tires or the fact that the car was tilted to the side. She would later swear to her family and friends that she wasn't drunk. She must have been slipped some kind of drug. I've always wondered if this was the first time he tried to kill her. He let her get into that car, in that inebriated state. It was a miracle she could get the key in the ignition. She had only one mile to go to get home. But as she scraped and screeched past oncoming traffic, her life was in danger. That sound, metal rims grinding on the pavement, is something her family heard as she drove down Walnut Street. They will never forget that sound. Kathy stopped the car at a cockeyed angle in front of her driveway. She was so disoriented, she couldn't get out. Police officer Darren Wyatt picks up the story. Then when Kathy gets home, her mom has to, her brother has to carry in the house. Mom is helping her, and she's not wearing underwear, which is very uncharacteristic of Kathy. So I believe that there was some kind of encounter that happened that night. An encounter one week before her death. I'm Keith Sharon, a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold a case can get. I'm going to tell you about Mary Bennett, her family, Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary two-plus-decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat Season 2, Episode 2, Letters of Intent. Let's talk about Sam Lopez, the guy who lived across the street. He was 22, two years older than Kathy. Even though they lived across the street from each other, Kathy and Sam came from different worlds. Gabriel Lopez Sr., Sam's father, worked at Hunt's, the factory next door to where Mary worked. All his children, as they grew up, got jobs, and they'd turn over their paychecks to him. Gabriel Sr. was a harsh man. He had a youthful swagger and a straight mustache. He wore collared shirts and colored his hair to keep it dark. Sam grew up afraid of his father. It was just different. Their household was different than mine. What's she trying to say? Their, 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 you ruled their, with an iron fist. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, everyone contributes and it has to be, you give all and you abide by my rules. So do as I say, not as I do. Okay. So I am, I am the, the head and I can keep everybody at a, at a very tight 
level right and and no one questions me right and i can go and come as i please but everybody is responsible because they never know when he's going to be there unlike his father sam had always been a goofy kid always making jokes sam and kathy were boyfriend and girlfriend for a short time in high school he was tall she was 4 foot 11 they both loved music he had a turntable where he could spin vinyl records and scratch out beats. He would make people mixtapes. Hip-hop music was his favorite. She would say, you know, he makes me laugh. He, he, he's funny. Um, I can't believe some of the things he says. Did you know him? Yes, I knew him. And what did you think of him? Well, I just thought he was all right. I mean... For Kathy and Sam, it was a high school relationship. On again, off again. Sam was kind of a flirt, but when Kathy talked to other guys, Sam got jealous. Once, Kathy started being friendly with another boy. Sam slammed him against a wall and told him to stay away from Kathy. That kid saw a side of Sam Lopez that Mary Bennett had never seen. When she told me that story, Mary paused and looked away, lost in what might have been if only she had known her daughter was in grave danger. Kathy's friend, Maria Echeverria, said she could see problems with Sam from the start. When she first started dating Sam, I remember we used to wait at each other's locker all the time. We always wait either by her locker or my locker or Sylvia's locker. So all of a sudden, the routine changed and we all had to go wait by her locker because she had to be there at a certain time. She couldn't be late to, she couldn't be late to stand by her locker because Sam was already waiting there for her. And as soon as he would see us come around, he would give her that look and give us like a dirty look. Like, get out of here. You know, like, you shouldn't be around her. He's controlling Kathy already. What did you think of his personality? He was, his personality was always like, um, really, how do I say it? Possessive of her. Like he only wanted, he didn't want her to, to talk to anybody. He had a, always like an angry look on him. He wasn't really friendly. What did she see in him? I, I asked her that and she said he was cute. That's all she said to me. Did you push it a little bit? Like, what are you doing? Yes. It became like an issue? We, yes, we tried to get her to break up with him. Because I so. We would just tell him that he wasn't, he wasn't treating her right. He wasn't nice to her. Give me an example. Just like he, um, he, he, he would pull her away when we used to get around the corner to her locker to wait. Because mm. we would wait by the locker. He would pull her away. He would just like, you know, when somebody just pulls you like you're a little kid. Like literally, like physically grab her. Yeah, grab and her and just pull her. Just didn't want us to talk to her at did all. Did you ever confront him? Like, hey, don't. Because. Yeah, we would, of course we did, because we were teenagers, you know, we'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you pulling her away? Why don't you let her talk to us? Yeah. And he would tell us, like, oh, she shouldn't, she doesn't have to talk to you guys. That's why she has me. So it started there. Mary didn't know how possessive her daughter's boyfriend was. After school, Sam would show up at Savon, where Kathy worked. He would stand there and watch her work. Another friend, Gabby Galvan, also didn't like Sam. He 
didn't look like he had very many friends. He had um, his older brother, Armando, and his cousins were probably the ones that allowed for him to hang out with them and be friends with their friends. Gabriel Lopez was a rigid father. One night, Sam was working at Taco Bell. His father expected him to be home immediately after work. On that night, Sam didn't go straight home. He went out with his friends instead. The, the father, um, Gabriel Sr., he, um, he, he didn't even ask them. He told them that as part of what, because they weren't, they weren't going to listen, that was his thing, um, then they needed to drop out of high school and work full-time. That wasn't a threat, it was an order. His father ordered Sam to drop out of Valencia High School. So that's exactly what he did. It was difficult for Sam, being a teenager, to find work during school hours. So he got a part-time job working at a car wash in Placentia. There were times when he would skip work and spend the day at Camelot Amusement Park drinking with his buddies. Not too long after he left high school, Kathy broke up with Sam again. For some reason, this time, Sam was devastated. One of Sam's friends said he tried to kill himself by slashing his wrists. I've tried to confirm that story, but I'm not sure. I talked to one former friend who said Sam had a scar on at least one of his wrists. Other people close to Sam said he never attempted suicide. In 1990, Sam wasn't the only person who was upset when he and Kathy broke up. Kathy had her goals of what she wanted to do, and uh, apparently Sam had already been asked to drop out of high school, and he was no longer in school. And then, uh, so someplace in there, Kathy decided to break up with him. Mm -hmm. And from what I know, uh, his uh, Sam's father was was not. Uh, was upset about that because it was his son and nobody rejects his son. Kathy didn't fret over the breakup. She was going places. There were colleges to apply for. There were other boys. A friend of Kathy's told her another boy was interested in her. His name was Albert Rangel. He's the kid who lived for a time down the street when they were little. His family had moved to Anaheim. Kathy's friend Maria knew him well. Albert was a baby-faced kid with a nice smile. As a freshman, he had been on the wrestling team at Anaheim High School. He got a job in a pizza parlor. Albert was a straight-A student. He loved to play the electric guitar. He was left-handed, but he taught himself to play guitar with his right hand so he could copy the movements of the mostly right-handed guitar players he saw on TV. He wanted to be a dentist. When he began dating Kathy near the end of 1993, he was planning to enroll in dental school. Gabby said she remembers Albert well. They were both very um, smart, and um, and they they were driven to you know to better themselves. And was he a particularly depressed kind of a person, like a downbeat kind of a person? No. Yeah, every everything I've heard about him is happy. Played the guitar. Um, did you ever see him play the guitar, by the way? Um, no, I didn't. To me, um, Albert was a little clown. 
Um, he um, would sing. <laughs> like what? I don't um, You know that song, uh, Reasons, and I believe it's the Isley Brothers that sing it? Uh, I think it's Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> he would okay, sing re- he would... with the high voice? Yes, with the high voice at all. He sang that song. <laughs> and just out of nowhere, he would start singing it. Maria liked Albert, too. Albert was a really nice guy. He really cared for Kathy. He liked Kathy a lot. And were they, they were dating, too? Yeah, they were off and on. Yeah. Off and on. What, was he a college-bound kind of a kid or not? or? No, he wasn't. He, he, I don't know if he was still going to, to school. But, um... He was really, I, all I know is he was a really nice guy, and she really liked Albert. More than Sam. I think so. And if you think Sam Lopez was hopelessly devoted to Kathy Torres, you would be wrong. Sam had another girlfriend. Her name was Perla Diaz. She was four years younger than Kathy. Perla's father owned a little market in Placentia. Just like Kathy, Perla couldn't date. In fact, she couldn't be with Sam in the dark. The rule was he always had to bring her home while it was still light outside. Sam, too, had a curfew. His father forced him to be home before 9.30 p.m., even when Sam was in his 20s. Sam wasn't the youngest of the Lopez siblings, but more than one person I interviewed said his family treated him like he was the baby. The Torres family underwent some changes in 1993. Mary remarried. Her new husband's name was Ron Bennett. He worked as a mechanic at United Can, where she worked. But the biggest social event of the summer was the coupling of the Torres and Lopez families. Tina married Armando. They had a big wedding with a reception in Buena Park. On that day, Kathy and Sam saw each other. They didn't get back together, but they smoothed things over after their emotional high school breakup. The date of Tina's wedding was September 11th, 1993. The two families who lived across the street from each other in Placentia would never be closer than that day. Kathy would be dead within five months. I've been in contact with Placentia Police Captain Eric Point and Lieutenant Brad Butts. They've been helping me track down the Kathy Torres file from more than two decades ago. I asked them for letters that had been discovered and turned in by Mary Bennett, letters written back and forth between Kathy and Sam. On June 6, 2018, I drove out to the Placentia PD to pick them up. So I'm walking up to the Placentia police station right now. It's election day and there's a polling place right here. I'm Keith from the Orange County Register. I came to see Denise. She's got a package for me. Okay. Hi. Thank you very much. There you go. Okay. If you need anything, uh, just uh, email uh, Lieutenant Butts and then... Right. I, I'm tr- going to try to get some audio and uh, he knows about that, so I may be back. Okay. But not today. That's fine. I'll be here. All right. Thank you. I spread the letters out in front of me. There were 20 and 18 of them were written by Sam. I'm guessing there were many more letters 
Kathy wrote to Sam over the years. There's no doubt she wrote him more than the two that are included in this case file. The letters go back as far as 1988, when Kathy was 14. For the most part, the first 17 are dumb high school letters where Sam calls Kathy pumpkin pie baby or his, quote, little one. He's telling her he loves her. He's promising he's going to stop dating all those other girls so he can just be with her. He's hoping she's not pissed off by the stupid things he does. He's apologizing to her for getting angry when she's talking to other boys. He really, really wants her to know how much he cares for her. At one point, he really wants to kiss her. You get the idea. Mushy stuff. Those letters could have been written by any high school kid. Sam has an aggressive tone in some of the letters, like the time he wrote, Listen, little one, if I want to look, say, or hit your friend, I will. I just don't like him. The last three letters are a little different given what was about to happen. Here's the special Matilda discount. Buy one Matilda ticket, get one free. Enter promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats. Don't miss the Tony Award-winning musical, Matilda. Packed with high-energy dance numbers, catchy songs, and a gifted young actress. Matilda, October 25th through November 17th. Tickets at LaMiradaTheater.com. In January of 1994, five weeks before she was murdered, Kathy Torres wrote a letter to Sam. I never thought we would be chilling like we are now, acting like humans to each other, she wrote. See, everything's okay until you try to get tricky with me. You know, I was really scared that night that you got crazy with me at Jack in the Box. I tried not to show it and do something that would hurt you, but the only thing I could do was take your pager. A lot of good that did. Anyways, please don't ever do that again, because I don't like that. Then there's a letter from Sam to Kathy dated January 13th, 1994. After the greetings, he starts this way. Basically living my life like a prisoner. So are you taking me out on Friday, or what? Sometimes I sit down and imagine how it would be if I ended up with you. Believe me, it's a scary thought. We really would always be fighting with each other, and you know that's no life. Besides, there's always those little things that really fuck it up for me, trust being one of them. Sam ends the letter this way, I really don't know if I should just be friends or be with you. I also wanted to apologize for not telling you this in person. It's just that I get a big knot in my throat when I try to say something. Well, Kathy, I hope we have a good time on Friday and every time we go out. Love always, Sam. That one sentence where Sam writes, There's always those little things that really fuck it up for me. Trust being one of them. Trust is in all capital letters. Is he referencing Kathy dating Albert Rangel? Kathy wrote back on Friday, January 14th, the day Sam thought they would be going out. They didn't go out that night. 
Instead, Kathy was going out with Albert. Hey, you know how I wrote you that I didn't know if we should be friends or be together? I think that we should just be friends, because if you don't know, who does? It's better for us just to talk on the phone or when we see each other here and there, because everything else just complicates both our lives. I didn't want to write this to you because it would be better to tell you in person. But like I told you, I didn't want to spoil our day because all the talks we have are important to me. I'd hate to lose that, but I think it's for the best. But please don't forget that I'm here for you if you ever need to talk. And us going out all the time just would make things worse. Like I said before, I don't like to share. So good luck with whatever you do. And then she writes in Spanish, Un día te veré contento y entonces yo también lo seré. That last part means, one day I will see you happy, and then I will also be happy. The last three letters were written about one month before Mary Bennett believes Sam killed Kathy. One more weird thing. That last letter she wrote to Sam, the one where she put him in the friend zone... Kathy actually made a copy of that letter and kept it in her room. Why would she do that? On January 17, 1994, at 4.31 a.m., the Northridge earthquake ripped through Southern California, registering 6.7 on the Richter scale. Mary Bennett will never forget that day, not because of the tremors she felt in Placentia, but because of an explosive phone call. Later that evening, while most people were glued to television news accounts of the quake, Mary heard her daughter Kathy on the phone with her ex-boyfriend, Sam Lopez. Mary could tell from the conversation that Sam wanted to get back together with Kathy, but Kathy was telling him it would be best if they just stayed friends. In uh, uh, January, the day of the North Ridge quake, the anniversary oh, date. I remember where I, I was. I remember yeah. that 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 uh, uh, that that evening there was something went on because Sam had called Kathy and and as I was walking down the hallway she was on the phone with him and he was yelling at the okay. other end. I don't know what the discussion was, but I know he was. But you know Sam. Yes, and I and. That's why I always remembered on the day of the Northridge quake because okay. that happened. Had we known that right. something was happening, but we didn't know, but those were things that were leading up to what he did. Mary Bennett knew her daughter in the early days of 1994 had told Sam she was going out with another guy. That guy was Albert Rangel, and he and Kathy had started dating again around Christmas time of 1993. Here's a quick rundown of Kathy's relationship with Albert. Three years earlier, in 1991, she dated Albert several times. Albert's family loved Kathy. She was at the Wrangell house in Anaheim a lot in the three months they dated. No matter how close she was with the Wrangell family, the 1991 version of Albert was not right for Kathy. Kathy's close friend, Gabby Galvan, said Kathy ended her relationship with Albert quickly. Here's part of the interview Gabby gave to police in 1994. The sound you'll hear isn't the best. Back then, Albert was just like, you know, it's just a sexual relationship, just wanted to, and Kathy wasn't like that. Kathy wasn't like that. 
1994, Albert told Kathy he had matured. Albert and Kathy were together on Super Bowl Sunday, January 30th, 1994. That's the day the Dallas Cowboys beat the Buffalo Bills for their second Super Bowl victory in a row. Here's a note that you may find interesting about Super Bowl 28. NBC broadcast the game that year. The reporter working the sideline of the Buffalo Bills was O.J. Simpson. At the time, O.J. was a beloved former athlete movie star. Within five months, he would be a rage-filled ex-husband wanted for murder. It's just a marker in time. Kathy Torres disappeared about four months before Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ronald Goldman were found knifed to death. Albert wanted to convince Kathy he was serious this time. He told her he wanted to meet her mother and explain his intentions to properly date her this time. Albert tried to set up a dinner with Kathy and Mary Bennett for Wednesday, February 2nd. But at the last minute, Mary had to cancel. Kathy rescheduled the Meet the Mom dinner for February 9th. That dinner would never happen. In the early days of 1994, we know the pressure was building between Kathy and Sam, but Mary didn't know how much. The first time I talked to Mary, she kept repeating, if I would have known. But really, what could she have done? So many things about what Sam Lopez did to Kathy Torres in that last month of her life don't make sense. We know now that even though Kathy was concentrating on Albert, Sam convinced her to go out with him one more time. On February 5th, 1994, Mary was at home. It was a Saturday night. Sam drove Kathy in her car. It wasn't an actual date. Sam and Kathy never went out on actual dates. They drove around, got alcohol, and parked. Privacy appeared to be a bigger goal than intimacy. They saw each other for years on the down low, never holding hands in public, always driving separate cars to a meetup location. Kathy's younger sister, Debbie, remembers she was reading Kathy's book, Like Water for Chocolate, on that Saturday night. She was waiting for her sister to come home when she heard the strangest noise. I, I remember being very scared. I remember I was waiting up for her to come home, and I was reading a book that she had, and I was just waiting for her to come home from work. I, like, her schedule was like my life. Since I was reading a book, I didn't have any TV, there was no other sound, and I remember the sound of her car very loudly before she approached the house. I mean, she I could have heard it down the street. Because she was on metal. She was on, yeah, and, and both tires were, were on. So the car was lopsided by the time uh, it came home, but I, I absolutely remember the night that she came home like that. What they found out later is that two of Kathy's tires had been slashed and she was grinding her way home on the rims. She was driving her burgundy 1990 Toyota Corolla. Suddenly, the front door burst open, and Marty Torres carried his incoherent sister into the house. Next on Crime Beat Season 2, Mom vs. Murderer, Kathy Can't Remember. Kathy Torres' secret evening spent with Sam Lopez only raises more questions about their relationship. It was the last week of her life. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. 
The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John. Madeline Barron on In the Dark. Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace. And Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to our new sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Remember, when you buy one Matilda ticket, you get one free by using promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats.